It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.07 on a Saturday morning, 55 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape or your garden or your flowers or your lawn or your houseplants or your vegetables or your fruit trees or whatever you're trying to grow. If you have some deficiency <laughs> in your plans and your vision for your landscape or your plants, then you can give me a call at 404-872-0750. Easy to dial those 10 digits. Ashley is out today. Crystal Wheeler is screening calls, and Crystal is just about as sweet as Ashley, and she will be delighted to take your question and put it on my screen so that I can answer it in short order. You just heard Kirk Mellish. <laughs> it may be a few days before Halloween, but I just heard the two scariest words that I think you could hear in late October. Maybe three or four words in there. 84 degrees, near record highs, end of October. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that it is still this hot this late in October and this dry this late in October. And this week, I got two more emails from people who had planted things in their landscape and wanted to know, I know they're brown, but is there any chance they'll recover? No. <laughs> there is not a chance they will recover. Somebody had planted the uh, six Leland cypresses back in um, the early part of August, I believe it was, you know, back when it was 95 degrees for weeks in a row. And bless their hearts, and he, he, he confessed this in his subject line in the email. He said, Leland Cypress newbie, a newbie, somebody who hadn't planted many Leland Cypress before. And when I saw the line of these poor brown Leland Cypress, about four feet tall each one, and I sent him an email back. I said, well, tell me how you planted these Lelands. And he said, well... I dug a hole about a shovel blade wide and about a shovel blade deep, and I took the soil that I took out of the hole and uh, mixed it with a little bit of, of potting soil and mixed it into the to the uh, planting area, and that's how I planted my Leland cypress. He said it was really hard soil. I had to take a pickaxe, a pickaxe, he said, to break up the clay before I could make this hole a shovel wide and a shovel deep. And then the Leland cypress got dropped in, and a little bit of soil dropped in around them, and obviously didn't get watered, and obviously dead. Another, another later. This is a, this is a situation where in, in, my, in my lifetime, in my career as a horticultural expert, I've never, never, ever gotten to use the phrase Occam's razor. All right, only a couple of you know what Occam's razor is. Scott Maxim knows what Occam's razor is because Scott Maxim is the most brilliant kid around. Okay, all right, Maxim. Occam's razor. What does Occam's razor mean? Simplest answer is generally the correct one. Absolutely, 100%. High marks for Scott. The simplest answer is most often the correct answer. And in the case that I'm speaking of here, a woman sent me pictures of her of her azalea. She planted some three-gallon azaleas uh, a couple of weeks ago now. And uh, 
She said, they keep turning brown. I think that an animal is urinating on my azaleas. Some animal is coming by and urinating on my azaleas, turning the middle brown. And I said, well, send me a picture. Pull one of them up, by the way. Send me a picture of the brown leaves and maybe the root system that you have on it. And, of course, when she pulled it up, it was like a cork coming out of the ground. You could see it laying on the sidewalk, just like a cork. She had not loosened the root ball. Nothing was was uh, spread out at all. The middle of the azalea was totally, definitely brown. The leaves falling off of it. And Occam's razor tells me that it is not an animal coming by <laughs> and urinating on her azaleas. It is simply she didn't water it. And azaleas are hard to water correctly when it's real dry because the root ball is so bound and tight, particularly three gallons that have been in the pot for two or three or four years. The root ball is really, really bound up tight. Just like a, like a brick, you can hit it with a hammer and it won't break apart. And so you have to take a razor blade. I mean, literally this. Take a razor blade and slice down the side of the root ball on these azaleas and then open it up with your fingers down at the bottom of the root ball to spread them out into the hole so they can begin growing outward and begin absorbing water. Again, record high temperatures, 84 degrees perhaps this afternoon. Dry, no rain in the forecast. Halloween cannot come soon enough. We go to the phones. Our friend Nicole is down in Griffin, Georgia. Hey, Nicole. Good morning. Mr. Reeves. Mr. Nicole, is it dry in Griffin, too? Oh. Yeah. Not even funny. Yeah, I know it's not even funny because I go down near you uh, on Wednesdays to see my mother. I'm coming down near you this afternoon to go to the uh, Sun City Peachtree for oh, 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock, too. So I'll see how dry it is. It's still dry. Mr. Reeve, how many houses on the Delaware? Well, do you know? How many houses what? How many houses do they have over there? A thousand? I know that they're celebrating their 1,000th uh, home sold. So I don't know if that means 1,000 in Sun City or 1,000 or in the greater Del Webb complex or quite what it is. But I know there's a bunch of houses there. A lot more than when I started going to Sun City. There were just a couple of hundred, it seems like, when I was first there. Maybe less than 100. I want to ask you another question. What? You are from the south. Yes. And every time my brother comes in, you see those big water towers. And then I was thinking myself, what happened many, many years ago when people ran out of water and somebody thought about putting some water tower? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean they just died be- without water before they thought about those water towers. Because we don't see them uh, probably past Kentucky, probably not even in Tennessee. Well, there were water towers on top of buildings, certainly in New York. They had water towers there for... For centuries in New York, on top of the buildings, they would pump water up there, you know, during the night somehow, and then use the water in the towers during the day. That was one of the things that limited the height of buildings in big cities was how high you could get water to the top of the building. And I remember specifically when I was about five or six, I guess, Nicole, and it was really dry one summer in the well. We had a dug well on the farm there in Fayette County. And it was so dry that the uh, well dried up, and the only water we had for our chickens was to go to a nearby creek that had about, it looked like six inches of water in the bottom of it. My dad took a bucket and laboriously filled barrels, big steel drums full of water to take them back to water our chickens. It was dry. I remember how scared he was and how sort of odd and scary that was for me to go with him. Imagine that. Us, it's too much water because in springtime the water ri- rise and rise and without stopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, hey, in, in North Carolina, where they had the hurricane, of course, it rose and rose and rose higher than they'd ever had before. 
or water for human beings or even for animals, for life, is just uh, essential. But boy, too much is too much, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. Good grief. But they just built two new brand new water towers for one reason, for the people in Delaware, you know. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, it's just uh, one of them is not in in. Um, they don't use it because they don't. They was thinking, you know, have more people to another subdivision in uh, Hampton, in uh, McDonald, and it's not using it. But it's surely, you know, a good site when it's dry like this. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully somebody has a source of water that you can fill the water towers full. And even though I know water towers compared to a reservoir don't hold nearly as much water, I know people call for new reservoirs to be built in North Georgia. And every time I hear that, there is a part of me, Nicole, that says to myself, think about the hundreds, if not thousands, of homes that will be submerged by a reservoir. I mean, reservoirs don't just come in some empty canyon that nobody lives in. Reservoirs come at the cost of people who in communities and churches and cemeteries where people have lived for generations. And there are parts of me that says, we don't need more reservoirs. We don't need to cast those people out of their property. We need to conserve water, number one. We need to manage water, number two. And thankfully, so far, so far, we're not in drought level three, which would mandate the odd, even watering schedule. You can still water. You can water your garden, of course, all the time. You can water newly installed lawns for 30 days. Even in drought level three, you can install newly you can water newly installed lawns. So we still have the drought restrictions. Still remembering only water after 4 p.m. and up to 10 a.m., but it's scary. So on this earth, we have the same amount of water. It's just a different place, isn't it? Just different places. And it all came, they say, that it came from asteroids full of ice that came from some other place. I don't know where the water came from. I'm not a... Not a scientist enough to tell you that. I know that we just have the same amount of water now that we had when the, generally speaking, when the Earth began, and we better take care of it because we're going to need it as we do right now. Oh, you walk in the wood, it's worse because the the the, uh, the trees going to take the water first. Yeah, yeah, trees. Well, I don't know if the trees take it first. The plants that have the biggest and thickest root zones closest to the surface, like grasses, honestly. Lawn grasses are really good competitors for water because they have thick root zones right there next to the surface of the soil, so they will fight tooth and nail for any drop of water that falls. So there's grass turning purple now? Yeah, a little bit of it. Going, going, going dormant right now. The purple grass that I see, the ornamental grass, is muley grass, which is gorgeous, gorgeous right now. Muley grass is a wonderful fall color in the landscape. It sure is. There's a bunch of them I would dealt with, that's for sure. Fabulous. Well, i got to get out of here. It's great talking to you, Nicole. I will look forward to seeing them at Del Webb this afternoon. Enjoy your day and pray yeah. for water. Pray for rain. We'll see you soon, Nicole. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after this. This is Scott Slate, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Predicted high today. Mm. Near record, 84 degrees. Predicted low overnight in the mid-50s. Any rain in the forecast? Zero. Not rain in the forecast. A couple of clouds here and there, and that is it. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And you're home the dogs where the pregame show begins at 11.30 this morning. J.D. in College Park joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, J.D., good, good morning. 
Good morning, Walter. How you doing, I'm sir? I'm all right. What's what's going on, man? Well, I have a. Uh, I played about three. Uh, the well, muscadine grapes uh, last year. Yeah. And this year they gave off uh, just a few grapes, not many, and they weren't that sweet. But uh, now the vines are extensive, they're long. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, do I cut them off or just hang them over the trellis? Or what do I do with them? <laughs> For the time being, hang them over the trellis or go around the arbor and don't trip over them. Uh, <laughs> the real time to prune, I think, J.D., is going to be when it's colder, probably end of December, January, early February, any time in there is fine. Uh, but right now, I know that the vines, they still have a few green leaves on them, a lot of brown leaves on them, too. Right. But uh, I think that the the vine is still in the process of going to sleep. That's what happens between, oh, the end of August and oh, the end of November, I guess, is plants go through a definite process of shutting down all of their photosynthetic junk that's going on in the leaves and in the stem and where they put their sap and where they store their sugar. And, you know, it's just like you and me when we go to bed at night. We have to make sure the door is closed and the covers are there and the <laughs> room is warm and all that stuff. So the uh, muscadine vines, they're in the process now of going to sleep, and if you come out and prune them, it's going to wake them up real bad. They're not going to be happy with you, J.D., so I leave them alone until they're completely, fully dormant and snoring January February sometime. And how far do I prune them back at that point? Prune them back to the first two buds coming out of the main arms. You can look. If you want to go look at them this afternoon, look along the vines, and you'll see the little pink bumps. They're little but they're distinguishable. Right. You can see it with the naked eye. And those little uh, pink butt, pink bumps are buds, and you cut everything off except the two buds that are right next to the main arm of the muscadine. Oh, okay. Good enough, then. Hey, thank you so much. J.D., it's always a pleasure talking to you. Call again. Okay, bye-bye. We'll see you, man. 404-872-0750 is the number. We'll talk to Carlos in Hampton who has a comment about the drought and whether we have enough water reserves. Greg in Powder Springs says Meyer Zoysia oh, is dying out and wants to know if he can revive it. We will have answers for both of them and maybe you. 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news. Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 636 and 56 degrees outside. It's Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful and hopefully bring a little enjoyment and happiness into your life at 404-872-0750. And I was talking to Crystal a moment ago about even though the daytime temperatures are predicted to be record-breaking highs in the mid-80s, nighttime temperatures are what cool the soil off. And when soils get down into the 60s, they're in the high 50s right now. But as soil cools down further, as the nighttime temperatures are in the mid-50s, that makes it really, really nice for planting things like fescue lawns, like shrubs, like trees, like perennials, like bulbs. And so if you want to plant, if you can water, you can plant them. They'll be fine. 
hopefully someday we'll get some natural water and that'll take care of them. Carlos is down in Hampton, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Carlos, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Walter, yeah. I have a question. Um, I have a master's degree in civil engineering with uh, infrastructure. Yeah. And um, Nicole hit on something that was very important. We're talking about the water towers. Um, I'm from New York, and yes, I know why in the turn of the century why they had the water towers. Uh, but then again, it's an island. Here we are in Georgia. Yeah. We have... Seventy-five percent of the water in the oceans. And in order to irrigate crops and everything else, we talk about drought. You know, they, they can put a keystone pipeline for oil. Yeah. Why can't they do saline plants along the, the coastlines and feed them into the, the, the Midwest, let alone... Um, it, that's our most abundant resource. Why can't we do that? I think desal is still water. too expensive to to get well, the water, water made into fresh water. We buy we buy purified water at the store. It has to come from somewhere. Yeah, it's purified. It still <clears throat> costs money at the store. It costs more to buy purified water at the store than it does to buy tap water. And they're both about the same thing, the same level of purity and health giving things. I think well, desal has has place certainly in Israel right now. They're doing desalinization big time, and over in the Arab com- countries as well. Uh, in the Mideast, but I don't think the costs are there quite yet to make it cost-effective for Georgia, and particularly because in order to do desalinization, you've got to have power. And power, sadly, would bring us to more, probably natural gas, but possibly even more nuclear plants. I don't think anybody right now is supporting more nuclear plants. building two nuclear power plants in South Carolina, and there's one here called Vogel, which is going to supply more electricity for the masses. Um, I just think that uh, we as a, a people need to look into that because it's going to be a point where drought, I, I don't want it to turn into the Mojave Desert. What I would rather is we tapped into the Tennessee River, if that would ever politically be uh, achievable to move the northern border of Georgia up to where it was supposed to be in the first place, which would be right pretty much in the middle of the Tennessee River. And we could take all that free-flowing water out of the Tennessee, fresh water out of the Tennessee, pipe it down into the Chattahoochee and into our tributaries and get them down to Atlanta, and we would have no water problems for 100 years. Well, I think we need to talk to our Congress people, don't we? I will let you lead the charge, Carlos. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Thanks for calling. i got to get out of here. But thanks for the comment, Carlos. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. Greg in Powder Springs joins us. Hey, Greg. Morning. Hello. Hey, man. Hey. I'm sorry. Let me wall my window up here. Hey, um, yeah, I put my Rizoya in about two months ago. And it's growing in spots. You know, I mean, it's growing pretty good, probably about 70% of it or so. Okay. But I'm getting a lot of dead spots and things in it. Is there anything I can do to watering it about watering the snot out of it? Oh, well, let's, let's define how much you're watering. <laughs> give me more of the, give me more of the well, uh, Greg's schedule here. It said, um, what your website said, like, um, I can't really remember exactly right now, but we did about uh, about forty-five minutes, yeah. you know, per section. Yeah, and I moved it. 
Yeah, you do that for a week or actually just a couple of days to really, really soak that side in. But after it's been in for a week, you start the weaning process of weaning the side of any kind of zoysia, Bermuda, doesn't matter, fescue, but you wean it back to maximum an inch a week, maybe an inch and a half if it was real sandy soil down in mid-Georgia. But if you're still watering 45 minutes a section now, several weeks after you planted it, man, Greg, you are way over watering. Yeah. No, no, no. We, we cut way back. We're doing it maybe, you know, twice a week or so now. Okay. We did it like that for about, you know, about two weeks, I guess. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, now, no, we're, we're watering it about every, you know, two to three days. Okay. Uh, you know, I think you're fine now. Every two or three days is fine. One of the things, Greg, I want you to be sure to do is to get some cups and go out and measure how much water your sprinkler system is putting down at a time. And nobody knows. I mean, to be honest, I bet you could not tell me accurately right now whether in a half an hour the sprinkler puts down an inch, a half an inch, a quarter inch, or an eighth of an inch, because you just don't know unless you measure it. And you have to go out with several cups, put them out, run the thing for 30 minutes, and see how much water is in the bottom of the cups. Then you know. And then you can say, well, when Mr. Reeves talks about an inch of water per week, that's what I have to do, how many minutes I have to put my sprinkler on in order to deliver an inch of water. And right now it should be around an inch of water per week. Two sprinklings of a half inch each time is fine, but try not to go more than an inch a week. You're wasting water and making the zoysia sick. And and to be honest, get to your first real question, Greg, no, really there's not much you can do about it right now. Water appropriately and then let the zoysia go on to sleep. It's going to go further and further brown, further and further dormant as the month goes on, as November goes on. As it gets colder. And so, you know, after it's turned 50 or 70% brown, as it goes into dormancy, it doesn't need water after that point. Right. Okay. All right. All right. All right. That's probably my problem, and I probably just overwatered. A little bit, yeah, but it'll probably recover next year. You'll be able to see that in May. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Hey, Greg, thanks for calling. Drive safely, friend. We'll see you soon. We got mm, Suzanne. Who's <laughs> next in line here? Mm, Suzanne is <laughs> in Smyrna and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Suzanne. Good morning. Good morning. I have random wilted pansies and violas. Oh. And I'm curious what I'm doing wrong. And this spring and summer, I had random wilted um, spring annuals, too. And I'm wondering, is it in my. I mean, they just look anemic that they're, they're melted but hmm. then the one next to it's not do they perk up they, when you water them or is there any difference no no they're like it's sad it's like they melted yeah how big Maybe were they you when you planted them how big was the root ball when you planted suzanne well they were in the little um came in little things of four not the little tiny ones of nine yeah. but you know okay. they were decent but the one next to it it's fine huh <sighs> I'll give a guess. This okay. has nothing to do with your real situation, but I'll give a guess because I've seen it before. Pansies, when they are overwatered, are pretty susceptible to a couple of diseases, and the most devastating one is called black root rot. Thaleviopsis is the scientific name. And Thaleviopsis can happen just in a heartbeat. And you in are. a nursery, you know, they got workers there who are not really well trained to measure soil moisture and make sure that everything is watered perfectly. And so pretty much the owner of the nursery says, go out and water everything. And so the workers go up and down the line watering everything, making sure that lots of water is dripping out of the bottom of the pots of the pansies. 
And I fear that pansies, if they're left in a nursery for more than a week and watered that heavily every day, can develop root rot. And so the luck of the draw is when Susan comes in, Suzanne comes in and says, "Oh, that's a pretty one. That's a pretty one right there." And they're just some of them just on their last legs. You put them in the in the ground in your landscape, and they look great for a day or two. And all of a sudden, the ones with root rot, doop, and they sort of melt so away on you. Them. Pardon? Just go randomly replace them because the one next to it's probably strong. That is going to be my advice to you. Nurseries are full of pansies right now. Pike has got a bunch of pansies and violas right now. And uh, just not knowing where you bought yours, I don't want you to tell me where you bought yours, but I would go to a, a nursery. A little bit everywhere. And, I like to spread it. And get, a, get some more pansies and violas and put them in place and call it a day. Thank you. All right. Again, I'm okay. not saying this happens everywhere, but I am saying I have seen Theleviopsis on pansies from overwatering before. It would explain your symptoms. All right, that's what I'm saying. Well, I didn't think it was slugs or snails or... Nah, I, nah, root rot. Root rot's where it's at, I think. Thanks for calling. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for calling, Suzanne. If you need, <laughs> if you need experience-based advice, you're talking to a guy who's had a lot of experience with dead pansies before, as you could tell. Mike is in Decatur and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Hey, Walter. Hey, I man. can't seem to get a definite yes or no as to whether or not grafting tomatoes will prevent wilt from affecting the scion heirloom. You, you can get a lot of resistance from grafting. For listeners who are wondering what we're talking about, there is a process, and has been for many years, where you can graft an older tomato, one of the real vigorous and disease-resistant rootstock tomatoes, to a newer heirloom or newer hybrid tomato, for that matter. And by getting a resistant rootstock put onto a productive top part of the plant, you get the best of both worlds. That's what Mike's talking about. Yeah, I, I like I said, I just... You know, I, I can't get a definite answer, yes or no, about whether or not the wilt will actually move in through the wilt-resistant um, cultivar up into the the heirloom portion. I mean, mm. I usually do like 75 to 100 heirloom tomatoes yeah. just to meet my needs yeah. between selling and eating and giving away. But, you know, Walter, 100 tomato plants is a lot. Yeah, I was just saying to myself, 100? What's this man talking about? 100 tomato yeah. plants. you got to be yeah. selling them. All my beautiful black crims are just, you can't beat them. I did a few um, uh, Paul Robesons this year because I hadn't done them in quite a few years. And Lord have mercy, Walter, those things were dead before they got chest oh, high. I didn't oh. get one stinking tomato. The wilt was just so active this year, never mind the fact that we only had four rains. Yeah, well, to, to, to summarize, I've only got 30 seconds, but to summarize, yes, the resistant, the disease-resistant rootstocks does uh, pretty much stop the common root and other soil-borne diseases in the tracks, so it doesn't move from the graft up to the heirloom part of the plant, no, or resists it 80-90% of the, of the way, so I don't think you have any problem with grafted tomatoes being any kind of... Uh, you know, vector for diseases to come up to the top of the plant. Mike, thanks. I got to go. We got to get out of here. It is four, oh, 648, and we'll be back right after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, truck mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand. 
walking through the streets of Soho in the rain. Oh, Scott, Scott, Scott. <laughs> It's time for a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Mother Nature decides to turn up the thermostat again today and give us a taste of summer and autumn. Sunny skies all day. Afternoon highs reaching record levels in the mid-80s. Clear skies remaining tonight and overnight lows down into the mid-60s. Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on your home of the Bulldogs. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Donnie is in Cornelia and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Donnie, hey, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm all right. What's up? Got a couple questions. We have a, a fairly well-established pear tree in our front yard, approximately 25 years old, and it never really has been pruned. And so I was wondering about the best method for pruning, both in dimensions of height as well as diameter, interior yeah. versus exterior. And should that be done in stages? Should it be done all at once? And if, if it's done in stages, what's the best method? Are you and talking also, uh, ornamental pear or edible fruiting pear? It's a, it's a fruit. It's a fruit tree. And, and okay. the secondary question is, as this tree's gotten larger, the pears have actually gotten smaller year after year. And I was uh-huh. wondering if pruning the tree to a smaller size dimension overall would improve the size of the fruit. Yes, it will. Let me. I'll give you a priority list of what to do and when to do it. Okay. And this will be done over a couple of year period. So your question about how often and when couple of years is what it'll take but basically the first thing you do is wait till well you can wait till january there's no need to do anything till all the leaves have fallen off and it's fully dormant but in january go out and look and first thing that comes off is all the dead branches you knew that instinctively dead branches out of here we don't need them anymore um second thing is if it, you have any really droopy branches, branches that bend over like mine does, my mother's does, some of those need to be shortened back by about three feet or so so that you let get the weight off of the branches. Otherwise, they're going to crack and fall down on the ground. That's not what you want. And number three is any crossing limbs, ones that go from one side of the pear cross through the middle and over to the other side are never going to make any pears. Cut them off. And then next year, year two, we'll go back in there and do a little bit more pruning to establish a central, clear, central trunk with whirls of branches up and down it. But I think, you know, this first year, let's work on the first year only, Donnie, and I think that my priority list goes, just like I said, dead limbs first, droopy limbs second, crossing limbs third. Get that done by the end of January, and you're home free. You'll get some better pears. I guarantee you'll get better pears in the summer if you do that. I got to go at 657 and one half at News Talk WSB. The phone number 404 8720750. 404 8720750. Get your garden questions answered while you wait. We'll be back after news. 